So let's look at Revelation chapter 8 and verse 6 together as we look at the trumpet judgments that happen here. And we're going to work through the, the, the passage and then look at the implications of it. And we're not going to cover as much text as we did last week. So let's just get into it this morning. I'm referring to a new exodus in that sense. So first of all, notice that a third of the plants are destroyed. Notice Revelation chapter six, or 8 verse 6 says, Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And those were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burned up. And so you have this picture here, again, uh, to, to, to bring us back into the text, right? There's this, this uh, hail and fire mix of blood and thrown on the earth. This echoes earlier in Revelation chapter 8, where the prayers of the saints are thrown on the earth, symbolizing that judgment is coming on the earth because of the prayers of the believers who have suffered uh, injustice and persecution and death at the hands of unbelievers. And so you get this, this constant kind of, except for the fourth, which is into the space, you get this constant kind of theme of throwing the judgment down on the earth. And, and so you have uh, a third of the, uh, of, the green, of the plants are burned up, in a sense. And that's a, that's a pretty big thing in all the green grass. And, and grass is kind of a, a big, I mean, corn technically is grass. And there's a lot of things that fall under grasses, right? Uh, and so this is, a, this is a catastrophic event that happens in a sense that, that this is burned up. We'll, we'll come back and think through these things a little bit more. But notice then a third of the sea turns into blood. Revelation 8 then goes on to say, The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. I just, for reference sake i was like well how many ships are there in the sea right now there's something like around a hundred thousand ships in the sea uh, between cargo ships and cruise ships and all of those so you think a hundred thousand ships a third of them uh, are destroyed if, if there are that many when this happens um and and then uh the angel blew his trumpet a third here we have a third of the rivers becoming bitter a third, the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers, and so on, and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. The third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. So you, you have this, you know, land, sea, springs of water, rivers, springs of water, and uh, you have this, this picture here of the earth being, uh, in a sense, destroyed in various ways. Then the last one here, the fourth trumpet that we're going to cover today at least, a third of the sun, moon, and stars darkened. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, a third of the day might be kept from the shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked and heard an angle, eagle flying with a loud voice, crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth and at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So as, as you read this passage, just to start off, the, the first question that came to my mind at least is why, why is the earth being judged? If men are the problem, why is the earth being judged? You know, like when you think of the plagues, especially in, in, in Egypt, it seemed like they're more designed to to, to torture the men, the Egyptians, right, with frogs and flies and boils than these are per se. 
Um, although these would definitely, if you lived during this time, it would be traumatic, right? Um, and and w- within the Old Testament picture of, of, of God creating the world, you have this picture of God creating the, the land, the earth, in order to bless and provide for human beings. And, and so the land is created, and God, and, you know, takes the Israelites and places them, why, in the promised land. Why? Because in the promised land, they're going to be provided for, where they, in Egypt, they, would, they weren't being provided for. And so you get this picture of the land as something that provides for the people. And at the same time, in, in the judgments that God, when he talks to the Israelites about moving into the promised land, he references the land and not defiling the land in a couple of different places. For instance, Numbers 35, verse 33 says, You should not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is, that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who sheds it. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell, for the I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. And so you have this picture that God, God is saying, in a sense, that the land, which is just, you know, dirt, but there's a, there's a symbolic meaning to the land. There's, there's that meaning that's there, and that meaning is, gets defiled when you have people killing one another and justice not happening. And we would say, when you think about it from that perspective, then you get this idea that, that just the land is, is something that means something beyond just the dirt uh, that, that, that exists. It has meaning and purpose behind it. Leviticus 18.24 gives us even more insight. It says, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. And most of these things that he's talking about are sexual perversions. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. So the, the picture here, in some ways, is God saying, look, if you make the, the land sick and unclean, it will, in a sense, vomit you out, right? Because you are committing sin against a, the God who created it. Because its design, its purpose, the land's purpose is to provide for the people that God has created to live on it. And if you make it sick, in a sense, and metaphorically, you get this picture of it. Obviously, it's not, it's not a, you can't make the land physically sick like we get sick, but you have that same meaning involved. And, of course, uh, you get that, that picture, right, is, is, is common. It's, it's something, that idea of, okay, uh, the things that, if God created us to rule over the land, and yet we are, uh, if we are wrong and sinful ourselves and polluting the land that, that God has given us, then, then in a sense, God has the right to kick us out of it. And you get that picture here. The other thing that stands out about this passage, right, is you, you, you see a, the creation week involved, right? You've got land, plants and land, you know, plants getting involved. Then you see rivers and streams getting involved. You see the sea and you see... Um, the sun, moon, and stars getting darkened. And, and you see this echo from Genesis 1 in the creation week. And you get this idea of not just that uh, the land is vomiting its, out its inhabitants, in a sense, but the sense of that there's this decreation actually happening. That God, who created the world, is now decreating it, right? And, and saying, okay, you know, pe- you know, people can no longer live here. At least a third, a, a third of the area. And, and so you have these, these ideas that I think are important to consider as we think, okay, what does this mean? How do, how do we take this? What are the implications of this? And how do I, how do I respond to this news of this, this judgment? And I, I want to take us, again, 
I think there's a lot of parallels here between the exodus, uh, God delivering his people out of Israel, and God, in a sense, bringing all of his people out of the earth and the, the, the destruction that is in the earth. And, and so there's a couple of parallels that I just want to point out between Exodus and Revelation to help you see how the Bible really ties together and in in, in how it's, it's, it's coming to these. And, and God, is, God is consistent in how he works as well. Notice Exodus chapter 6 and verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, that is Yahweh, Jehovah, that's sometimes how it's said, right? That name, I did not make myself known to them. So he's saying God, God uses different names to reveal different aspects of who he is, right? His character and, and who he is. And he's saying there's this name that I didn't use with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that I'm going to use with you, Moses, and the nation of Israel, and it's the name Yahweh or Jehovah, and it's the idea of one who delivers, one who saves, right? I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they live as sojourners. Moreover, I heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. It, it definitely echoes that idea, right, of the groaning of believers and God's judging in, in the trumpet judgments, right? And the groaning of the Egyptians and the plagues coming, right, because of the groaning of the, the Jews and slavery. <coughs> Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So here's this summary of God's intention. He's saying, my intentions are to to, first of all, to make myself known to you and to deliver you because of your burdens and because of my promises, right? I will take to you, you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the, the burdens of the Egyptians. If you read through the Exodus and just circle every time that you shall know that I am the Lord, you'll circle it many times because the main focus, it seems like, throughout this exodus period is that God is saying, I want you to know that I am this delivering, powerful God that can take you out of this. Verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. A little bit later in chapter 7, he says, I will, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and through, though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt... Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So you have, not only is he saying, I want, want Israel to know that I am the Lord, I want the Egyptians to know that I am the Lord, right? So this, it's the sub-revelation of God. This is who I am. And at the same time, he also says, Pharaoh will harden his heart. So you see these themes in Exodus that I think are echoed here in Revelation 8, 9, 10, and following of these, these kind of four themes. God reveals himself to Israel in Egypt so that they can know who he is, creator and king. And one of the things that's happening here in Revelation 8, 9, and 10 is God is revealing himself to the world to say, this is who I really am. I have this kind of power. I have this kind of ability. I have this kind of, um, you know, I want you to know <laughs> this is who I am. 
God demonstrates his power to show that Pharaoh won't repent, right? You see it, oh, it's a kind of this byplay throughout all the plagues. One time Pharaoh hardens his heart, the next time God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And you see this, this byplay, and the point overall is, is that uh, Pharaoh deserves the judgment that he is getting because he does not want to submit himself to the God of the universe. And we're going to see that, in fact, it says at the end of all the trumpet judgments that the people did not, people did not repent, even though these judgments happened. Another thing that happens is that counterfeit demonic demonstrations happen to mislead people, right? During the exodus, right? During the confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh, Moses does a sign, right? He throws down the, the stick, the, the rod, it turns into a snake, right? And and then what happens? The other, the counterfeit musicians, they, they have their, their sticks and they throw down their rods and they turn, you know, they turn into snakes and then, but the Moses snake eats all the other snakes, right? Or, or when, I think it's when the frogs especially, which I can't imagine doing, but, um, right, the frogs happen and uh, Pharaoh goes to his magi magicians and they're like, yeah, we can make more frogs happen. And I would be like, that's not the point, guys. I want less frogs, not more. But they could make more. They could do that too. You know what I mean? And so there's this counterfeit demonic demonstrations happen to mislead people during the same happening. And what we'll get into, we're not going to get into it today, but what you see as, as you get into an explanation of what's happening around trumpet judgments in, in 10, 11, and 12 is you see these demonic uh, rising, this beast rising from the sea, right? That ultimately we call it the Antichrist who is designed to deceive the people, right? And to do signs and wonders to deceive the people. And so you have this, this similarity here between what's happening in the Exodus and what's happening in Revelation 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, uh, that there's these counterfeit demonic demonstrations that are happening in order to mislead people and deceive people about what what is this really from god or not the final of course point is that god redeems his people out of slavery futility and death they were slaves they were slaves they lived futile lives they died they had no that's that's what they were living in and of course God is doing the same thing in Revelation, redeeming his people out of slavery, futility, and death because of the cries of his people, which, again, is echoed here in Revelation chapter 8. And if that's true, then I, I just want to kind of think about that for a second, right? That God demonstrates, demonstrates this. Notice just Revelation chapter 9, which is the end of the trumpet judgment. So Revelation chapter 9, it says this. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk. They did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. There is no repentance. And of course, Pharaoh didn't repent either. Now that's not to say, we, we know that some Egyptians did repent and went with Israel out of, you know, with the exodus. And it's not to say that during this time some people won't repent. But the vast majority believe the lie is the point. 
because God is demonstrating his justice. Even as he demonstrates his power, he's demonstrating his justice that people, even though they can see his power, even though they can see that, that what he can do and not do, they, they still don't want to submit. They don't want to repent. And that is both troubling, but at the same time, it's just the reality. We, we, we know our hearts. We, we are convicted of sin, and we at times are like, but I don't, don't want to admit it. I don't want to change. I, I just want to live my life. And if, if we're fortunate, God doesn't leave us alone in that stubbornness, right? But he causes us to repent and turn to him, realizing we cannot do it on our own. But overall here, the point is that God is redeeming his people and you have this, these hail coming down, which is, again, hail happens during the, during the plagues. And you have um, the water being turned into blood, which, again, is... And the interesting thing here is that we, we learn later on that one of the, the pictures here that's happening with water being turned into blood is they're saying, look, the believers have been killed for their faith, so it's right that God gives people blood. <laughs> if they wanted blood, God gives them blood, Right? And, and so God, God judges the earth because he wants them to, 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 to realize what they're doing and that they cannot have just the blessings of the land and all the things that God has given in this world to enjoy for, for just their own enjoyment without worshiping him as the creator. So let's just look a little bit more detail. I just want to notice, see if you notice a few things. Again, the, the, Hail and fire mixed with blood. And so you get the idea here that there's, there's, there's hail and fire, but, and then things get burned up, but it's also, there's people dying, there's murder happening, there's war probably happening as well in the first trumpets, but it causes a third of the earth to be burned up. Again, you can say, well, is this natural or supernatural? I would say yes, in a sense, right? There's, there's certain natural explanations, but there's also supernatural explanations. The second one here, blows this trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire. So again, you have this picture of something coming through the atmosphere to earth. Now, the, the picture of a great mountain here could be a reference to a comet, sure. It could also the, the metaphorically be speaking to the fall of a, of a of a, uh, a nation, a, a kingdom, a, a, a country. And it's possible that this refers to, the, the, the Jewish nation refer, was referred to one time as a burnt mountain um, that fell. And so it's possible that that, so that, that it's metaphorical again, but the, the, the end result is not metaphorical. The sea becomes blood. A third of the sea creatures die. A third of the ships are destroyed. That this, The sea is affected by this. A third, of the, a third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell down from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the, mount, a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. Now, to, to, to have this happen, this is definitely much more a metaphorical in the sense of that, that it's something that's coming down and affecting all of these, at least a third of the rivers and springs of water. It's called wormwood, and, um, and a third of the waters become wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The picture of bitterness in the Old Testament is when you have false teaching and people believing false teaching and following false teaching that then makes their lives bitter. Does that make sense? God gives them the, the, the results of that. And here, in a sense, God, God says, okay, you want to 
you want to not follow me. The, the point really in all of these is you want to not follow me. You want to do what you want to do. You want to live the way you want to live and not, not acknowledge that I'm God, not be grateful to me, not worship and, and, and serve me because I've made you and love you and have a p- good plan for you. Then, then you can you should eat the results, literally in a sense, eat the results of your behavior. God, God is a God who does believe in sowing and reaping, right? We, we believe in that too in Iowa, right? We sow and we reap. And hopefully the farmers make tons of money that then helps every one of us you know, live in the state, right? Um, and yet, we, sometimes we wish that God wouldn't believe in sowing and reaping. Like, oh, that, hey, you, you sowed those things, you're gonna, you can reap whatever you want. No, God is in a sense saying, here, here's the consequences of your actions expressed uh, in, in, in physical form in order to help you to see that this is not going to work. And so just there's three applications in a sense that I want to kind of touch on here. Kind of, the first one is, is that God is calling all people to repentance. Some actually will. The emphasis at the end of Revelation 9, right, what I touched on before, is that after all of these trumpet judgments, that mankind as a whole still does not repent. They don't care. Hey, if I have to drink blood, I'll I'll drink blood. If I have to drink bitter water, I'll drink bitter water. Who cares? Like, I, I I want to continue in my actions and doing what I say regardless of the consequences. That's a, it's a pretty dangerous place to be, right? Because God is calling people to repentance even at the same time. Revelation 14 refers to this, which is again, you, you see the, the trumpet judgments happening here, and then later on there's, you have these visions that talk about a bigger picture while the trumpet judgments are happening. And it says this, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Here, this is really a direct reference to the four, the four trumpet judgments. He's saying, hey, God, God did these judgments and he has control of these things. Worship him. You know, the, the, we're, you have a choice. You're, you're called to make a choice. Who are you going to worship? Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to bow down to? You're going to stay stuck in your slavery and death? I'm going to just bow down to the, to the, in a sense, to the God of death. Because I, I've just got to live my life. I only live once, so I better live my life for the, to what, get, get what I want out of life. Because I'm going to have to die anyway and eventually submit myself to the God of death. So I'm just going to live my life that way. And God's like, I want to redeem you from that. The cycle of life is not the cycle of life. There's more to life than just living and then dying. There is eternal life. God wants us to to redeem us from our death. In a sense, God is saying, look, I'm by just destroying a third, a third, a third, and then as we see with this bowl judgments, he's going to destroy all, all, all. It's like, okay, finally, you don't get it, then, then we're going to take it all out. And the, by doing just a third, he's, just, he's calling people to repentance. He's saying, hey, here's your chance. Repent. 
Doing whatever you want to do can't continue. Teaching whatever you want to teach can't continue. Living however you want to live can't continue. Ruling however you want to rule can't continue. There is coming a day of judgment, act consequences for the actions that we have lived in our lives. And if some people want to say, well, I'll, I'll wait to see, right? I'll wait to see if that actually happens, and then I'll repent. If you think it's better to wait to see, you're missing the point. Because your heart is, has, a, has a, a goal in mind. It's either wanting to say, the heart that says, I want, I want to wait to see, is also saying, I'm going I'm to keep in my, the way I want to live for as long as possible. 2 Peter chapter 3 puts it this way, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They want to stay with what they want to live and how they want to live. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. It's like, things just happen. Like, these, the, the, why, why, are we, why are we worried about God, in a sense? For they deliberately overlooked the fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the water that then existed was deluged with water and perished. It's like, look, the flood happened before. God can do powerful, amazing, uh, supernatural things to get his point across. And he's done it in the past, right? But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We, we have this call, even today, like Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 6 says, today is the day, right? Like, why, why do you live your life just thinking, well, I'm just going to live for myself, and if something comes along that convinces me otherwise, then I'll, I'll think about changing my mind. No, we know that Jesus Christ came and died and rose again. It's historical facts, right? We know that the prophecies were prophesied and the Old Testament came true with the life of Jesus. We know that God's word is true. If you'll, if you'll accept that to be true, why won't you repent and say, look, I, I need to live my life differently? Not for myself. Not for what I can get out of this life. Not for my own pleasures and my own goals. God is calling all of us to repentance. To saying, you know what? This is, my life is not my own. I am bought with a price. And yet some, unfortunately, will be like Pharaoh and will harden their hearts. will be like, you know what? I, I want what I want. You know, there's got to be another way. There's got to be another, uh, maybe I can negotiate with God. Maybe I can, maybe can I, I can outflank God. Maybe I can outlive God in a sense. No, what it's saying clearly here is that in the history of the world, God is not going to let that just continue and continue and continue and hope people come to repentance. He's going to force them to choose. Another thing that's obvious here is that redemption is not simply spiritual or physical. Sometimes we focus on salvation as simply, well, God is going to save us out of this world and, and, uh, and just save our spiritual essence, if you will, and, and, and he's, he's redeeming my personality, he's redeeming my, my mind, but he's not worried about my body. 
No, God made both. And God is going to redeem both. God is concerned about your, your physical being as much as he is your spiritual being. And he's is in the process of redeeming both. And, and th- that affects how you approach your, your life with God, walking with Jesus, if you will. We're supposed to walk with Jesus, and sometimes we think, well then, okay, I'm going to work on something. Maybe, maybe you're saying to yourself, I, gotta, I work on the physical side of my life. And so I'll, I'll go on a diet, or I'll exercise, or I'll do these things on the physical side to redeem my physical, <laughs> physical life that I have. But, but you forget that your, your physical life is connected to your spiritual life. So there's, so there's some aspect, even as you're working on your physical life and your physical appearance and your physical health, there's some aspect of that that's connected to the spiritual side of your life. There's something that God wants to change about your attitude, your, your mindset, your heart for him, your praise of him in the midst of working on your body. And at the same time, if you're like, well, I just need to, I need to avoid sin over here. I need to cut out the sin. I need to start doing these good things that God wants me to do. Um, and, and, my, and my heart needs to change. I get that. But you know what? Sometimes in the midst of trying to make those heart changes, he also wants you to change what you physically do with your body. Does that make sense? <laughs> like if you're wanting to have a heart for God, maybe get up early and, and spend some time in his word or in prayer. You know, if you're, it's, it's, God made us a synergy of both spiritual and physical, and you, it, to separate one is from the other and to say one doesn't matter and one does is what we call spiritual Gnosticism, and it's a heresy. It's, it's not true. It's, it's, this is, God made us both physical and spiritual, and he's going to redeem both. And that's part of the aspect here that's being brought out in these plagues, is there's a spiritual component and there's a physical component that's, that's happening here, just as there was with the Exodus, right? Because each of those plagues in, in, in the Exodus were designed to attack Egyptian gods and to say, don't worship the god of locusts. Don't worship the god of the Nile. Don't worship, why? Because why? they're nothing compared to the god of the universe. Yahweh, the god who delivers. They're nothing compared to him. And you say, well, I don't see that same connection here. You know, I think part of the reason for that is, as we'll look into, is we stopped worshiping creation and we start worshiping ourselves in this world. And we'll see that as we look at the Antichrist later on. So, so as you think about your redemption, don't just think about your redemption as being simply phys- spiritual or simply physical. It's both. And understand that synergy. I, I like my father-in-law uh, has a phrase that he, he used with his kids, and obviously I've tried to pass down a mind, which is when your body's tired, work your mind. When your mind's tired, work your body. Why? Because you, you are this synergy and you've got to work both. Some of us are in jobs or in professions where we only work our minds. No, you need to work your body too. Some of us are in jobs or professions where you only work your body. No, work your mind too. It keeps you, it keeps you whole. It keeps you human. <laughs> and ultimately, it keeps you connected to God. So redemption is not simply spiritual or physical. Another one here. Creation will be unmade to be remade. This is clearly what's happening here. Is that God is unmaking creation in order to remake creation. And, of course, there are fears of, in our world today even, right, which makes sense within the context of the flow of history and the flow of revelation, that creation is being unmade. We call it global warming. We call it a variety of things. Just the idea that, that one day at some time, 
we're going to pollute this planet enough that no one's going to be able to live on it, right? So, just for the sake of fun, and because I'm a dad, I found some dad jokes um, on, on global warming. Just tolerate me for a second, all right? Just, you know, this is me being a dad. Uh, what, is, what, is, what is it called when worms take over the earth? What is it called when worms take over the earth? Global warming. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope you just rolled your eyes at me. That's okay. What do flat earthers call global warming? Toast. What do chefs call climate change? What do chefs call climate change? Over-seasoning. Uh, yeah, I got a good groan out of that one. That's good. <laughs> Why is Leonardo DiCaprio so passionate about climate change? Because an iceberg made his whole career. <clears throat> there we go. There we go. I figured that one would be good. The, the point here is that we, we talk in our culture today about today in a variety of ways. We talk about creation being unmade. We talk about it in a variety of ways, and we debate it, and we argue. Is it happening? Is it not happening? And the science is, you know, you have a majority of the science are just saying one thing, and a minority of the science is saying another, and we argue about it. And in some ways, that's really all, if you will, a satanic kind of sleight of hand to get us not focused on the right thing. Because you know what? God says here that creation will be unmade. It'll be done by him because of us, but not because of all of our actions you know like we we just can't if we could just get it together right that's kind of global warming's message right if we could just get it together get rid of carbon get rid of these things make make ourselves sustainable then we could do this and it's all about us and trusting what we can do but the gospel has better news than that because it's saying that yes we've messed up but that God's still in control and God's provided a way of redemption. And it's not through us trusting ourselves and doing better and focusing better and making all of these changes happen. As a Christian, it's clear that mankind hasn't killed itself off before the trumpet judgments because God is doing this process in our faces, so to speak, right? But we are called to point people and help people realize, you know what, yes, creation is being unmade but we have hope not in ourselves and what we can do but because Jesus Christ died and rose again because he came because he lived on this earth and because he rose from the grave there is a higher hope than just us doing better somehow when the history of the world shows that we pretty much don't do better overall as a race we, as Christians, we should not further Satan's deceptions and, and just try to solve the debate like, okay, well, I think this and I think that. No, point people to Jesus. Point people to Jesus. There is coming a day when creation will be unmade, but it's in order to be remade in the new heavens and the new earth. And that is our hope. And you say, well, that, for, for people who don't believe this, that, that, what hope is that? What the point is is that Jesus Christ really did die. He really did rise again. And there really is a judgment coming. 
And they can be lulled to sleep arguing about this and that. And they can be lulled to, to activity that does them no good at all. And this makes me come back and just say, what are you living for? What are you living for? Here, it's pretty clear if you're li living for kind of, a, kind of a good plot of land where you can enjoy life and, and live through it, you know what? At some point, this text says that that goal is going to be burnt up. Like, the, you might live your life, but at some point, there's more to life than just having a plot of land, enjoying life, you know, going through it. I, I was reminded as I studied this passage of Joshua, as he came to the Israelites at the end of capturing the land of Canaan, which Christ, in a sense, has done for us, right? Because he's conquered heaven for us. He's given us access to heaven. And he says to the Israelites, if God is God, choose him. If God is God, serve him. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we have that choice. That choice is even ours today, even though we don't face these judgments right now. God still calls us to repentance. He hates sin, and he will judge it. How do we know that? Because he sent his son to die. But he also will redeem our lives. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. This is what Jesus wants to conquer in us. <laughs> he wants to con conquer our self-absorption, living for self, living not for God, but for ourselves. He wants to conquer our sin, our rebellion against him. <laughs> The beauty of this passage is, is that this passage is designed to fill you with hope. Why? Because we can live in a world that's always predicting the next catastrophe, the next catastrophe, the next catastrophe. And you say, well, the Bible isn't any better. The Bible doesn't end here, <laughs> right? It doesn't end with the trumpet judgments. Okay, sorry, that's it. We're done. <laughs> Close the book. It ends with the new heaven and earth, new earth coming down and us living there with God and with Jesus forever and ever. The, the point is not to unmake creation in order to be like God forgot to say, well, big mistake. Maybe I'll start over someday, like some of us do when we start a project. It's for God to say, no, I've got a plan, and I, I want to take the people who trust me, who love me, who follow me, I want to take them, and, and just like the Egypt, Israelites with the Egyptians, I want to take them out of being slaves to death, and bring them into a new land, a land that, where I protect them and provide for them, and I'm with them, and I help them, and we enjoy being together. And yes, I have to unmake some things along the way to make that happen, but it's to remind everyone who's in charge and who's going to provide. God didn't make this earth so that we can just provide for ourselves. God made this earth so that we can see that he provides for us. When the sun comes up this morning, right, I'm kind of mourning the time change in a sense, right, because the last few days I'm driving the kids to school, you get to watch the sunrise, right, because it's just the right time. Wow, it's amazing, it's beautiful. God made us to marvel at beauty in his world. And, and we oh, love fall too, or to see the the. The, the season change and the browns and the reds and the green, you know, all of those mixing colors together. It's beautiful. 
God made us to enjoy his world, but not to enjoy it and be like, well, it's mine. I get to do what I want with it. But to, to point back to our creator and to say, look, this is the God who made me. He's got infinite creativity. He's got infinite power. He's got infinite knowledge. And I get to walk with him and, and follow him and know him. Because that's what he's doing here overall. Is he's, he wants us to know him. It's like we're blind so often to who he is. We go through our days and we think, I've got to get this done and this done and this done. And God's like, hey, I'm over here. I, I, I want to walk with you through this problem. I want to see you to see how I can carry you along here. I want you to see that, hey, you know, my, my love for you is regardless of what this person thinks of you, I still love you. This is how God wants to work and walk with you. And we're blind to it. We run into problems and we're afraid. We, 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 hand, we get into issues and we, rather than running to God, we run to something else. Oh, just this temporary hit. Bring me happy temporarily, even though I got problems that are bigger than me. We have a God who's bigger than us, who loves us. And oh, the joy of knowing him. Oh, the joy of walking with him. So in the midst of focusing on this judgment, the, the primary response, I think, for Christians is joy. Why? Because God will judge sin. God will set things right. And yes, there's a process of unmaking, but there's also a process of remaking. I was reminded, just in closing, of Psalm 46. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Jesus Christ came to be Emmanuel, God with us. And that's still true. In the face of every trial you face, in the face of the world being remade, unmade and then remade, he is still with you. He never leaves us or forsakes us. Will you see him in your life? this week. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us, that you never leave us or forsake us, and you call us to repentance. You, you are calling us to repentance. You, you are kind to us. You pour out rain on the just and the unjust. You are patient with us, even when we're stubborn and cruel to others, and even to, even to ourselves, Lord. Yet you show mercy and grace to us every day. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you, to see you in the midst of this world where people are blind to you and fearful about your creation. Yet, you are still here. You still love us. And you're still calling us to yourself. Today is the day of salvation, Lord. I pray that many, many more people might come to know how great you are through our lives, through our words, even this week. In your son's name we pray. Amen.